0: with KNBC and the Roots, Rednecks, and Radicals, and I'm talking with singer-songwriter Ted russell Camp. Thanks for joining me today.
1: Hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. Well, you've been a musician for quite a while and been involved in many different projects, and I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your career and uh, uh, some of the different things you've been involved with musically.
1: Sure, sure. Uh, When I grew up in New York... When I finished college, I moved to Seattle, and I was there for about five, six years, and then I moved to L.A., and I've been in L.A. ever since. Um, I've always been pretty eclectic in my tastes, so I've played in, like, soul bands and blues bands and rock bands and country bands. I even played, like, real straight-up jazz, you know, like 1950s Miles Davis, Bill Evans style, on acoustic bass a lot. Um, The last maybe 15 years or so, I've really kind of honed in on, like, you know some of my favorite music is maybe bob dylan and the band lovely on russell and jj Cale. J. this kind of jackson brown this kind of magical stuff from the early and mid 70s so a lot of my music is kind of indebted to that and and i try to make my music modern and personal of course make it my own but it's in it it's it's definitely influenced by that uh and i'm not afraid to admit it and wear some of those influences on my sleeve um but I've been living in L.A. I've been, I've, I've been a singer-songwriter, so I've got a bunch of records of my own, uh, including this new one, Down in the Den. Um, I've also been playing bass with Shooter Jennings for about 15 years now. And I've, I, uh, I'm the only original member from Shooter and the 357s who's still in, still in the mix and still playing with him. So he's been a great friend and ally, and it's been an honor to kind of have written some of his songs and be in the band for many years now. Um, but I've also been producing a lot of different artists, uh, and playing bass. Uh, I played bass on the new Tanya Tucker record this last year, oh, okay. which is awesome. So that's kind of the first time it's my first Grammy. Yeah. Cause that was country album of the year. Uh, so I got a Grammy for my bass playing, which is pretty awesome. That's cool. Um, but I've also done some gigs, with Jesse Coulter, uh, uh, Whitey Morgan is another guy I've been playing a lot. My, my first big gig in LA in 2003 was playing with Wilson Phillips. Huh. For a while they had a new record out so that wasn't a long long gig but they were wonderful to work with and we probably did I don't know 7 or 8 or 9 shows. That was the first that was the first time where I was really flying around the country and staying in nice hotels and you know like we played Good Morning America and the David Letterman show and stuff like that. So that was that was a big one. Right. And that was uh, thankfully the first of many great uh, musical dreams to come true, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's wonderful. I'm, I've really kind of gotten into the kind of Americana scene and the country rock world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of the music I play is with people like that. Um, uh, and that's on my own as well as, as when I'm playing with other people. Right. Where, where was
0: that uh, Tanya Tucker album recorded at?
1: Um, it was recorded at Sunset Sound. Right in the middle of Hollywood. Oh, okay. Uh, And we did it in about two weeks. Tanya drove out on a tour bus from Nashville. And so that team, was Shooter Jennings producing and Brandy Carlisle co-producing with Shooter. Right, right. Uh, So that was a pretty awesome team to work with. Yeah. Uh, And it was a real honor. That was was some special music. Yeah. Uh, And having made lots of music that not a lot of people have heard, I mean, some of the best gigs, I think almost any musician would say this, some of the best gigs you've ever done are for 11 people right, right and it's just the chemistry is right and the feel is magic or having played on a lot of records uh that are indie as well as more regional and national artists mm-hmm. uh yeah you, you put your heart and soul and you want it you, know, you want it to be great uh so it was really wonderful to have a record finally really get out and and be heard and be respected by the world in the way that that record was that was pretty amazing yeah, yeah,
0: that one took me by surprise. I, I was I was a fan of uh, uh, Tanya back in the '90s. I, I was in the '90s country, and um, I, okay. I didn't really see it. Um, uh, I, I, I didn't hear much about it before it came out, and it came out, and I was like, "Holy cow, this is amazing!" And yeah, it won Grammys, and yeah, did all kinds of good stuff. So
1: yeah, it it's a, a it's one. a really wonderful record, and, and and Tanya. I mean, it was also kind of a perfect time for her because she hadn't done a new record in many years, right? Uh, and so she really wanted to do something and make it special and different. Um, I think a big part of the magic of that record is Brandy hmm. Um And Brandy and, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Brandy has been playing with these two guys, these twins, twin brothers, mm-hmm. Tim and Phil Hanserock. Right. They've been in her band with her for years. And so the three of them are, uh, I don't know, even to say like a well-oiled machine it. Like their chemistry and musical flow uh, and sympathetic approach to things mm. is unbelievable. It was really great to watch. Um, and I didn't know this, but Tim and Phil are great songwriters, and they've written a lot of the songs that Brandy has been doing over the years. Mm. So it's their three-part collaboration, which is pretty deep and profound. Um, and I think it was Brandy's idea to write songs for Tanya that would feel autobiographical. Like she approached this as like, what if Tanya was to write a singer songwriter album? Huh. And uh, I think she really wanted to be a special, almost like uh, like the Rick Rubin, Johnny Cash records. Hmm. Or when uh, when Jack White did the thing with Loretta Lane. Right. Or even with Wanda Jackson too. Like really wanting to make it a new album that would have a new sound, but still pay homage to the past and have a retro energy. And kind of just kind of encapsulate what's so beautiful about an artist like tanya tucker
2: right
1: and so brandy tim and phil showed up with like seven or eight songs which is a majority of the album yeah and they wrote them from her perspective and i think i think tanya was completely shocked actually she was uh uh but she she did it great and she completely rose to the occasion uh and it was it's a phenomenal record it's really it was a really honor uh to be a part of yeah that's cool
0: thanks for sharing all that well um, sure. I want to talk about your music as well and you got this new album out called uh, Down in the Den and uh, all kinds of all kinds of great songs on it um, one of the, the the opening track is called uh, Home Sweet Hollywood and uh, Shooter Jennings makes an appearance on on the song as well and I was just wondering if you could um, uh, tell us about that song and why you chose it as the, the opener
1: for the album their dreams and money down, or the chance that they will find Home sweet Hollywood, you got to be crazy to stay. Home sweet Hollywood, I wouldn't have it any other way. Okay, originally that was going to be kind of an album cut, and it was actually much longer. Like it's about four, it's, it's actually four minutes and 20 seconds is how we edit it. <laughs> um, but, but it was originally over five, five and a half minutes. Huh. Um, and I've always loved Leon Russell and J.J. Cale and that Tulsa sound. Mm-hmm. So I had this great groove um, and then I started writing the hook of Home Sweet Hollywood. Um, you gotta be crazy to stay. Home Sweet Hollywood, I wouldn't have it any other way. And it's kind of this tongue-in-cheek, love-hate relationship I have with the music industry, mm. you know, which any, any, any musician or songwriter or anything who like survives for a while in the music industry, you realize how crazy it is. Right. Um, and how you're constantly mm. battling between what you feel is quality versus what you or someone else feels will sell. Mm-hmm. Um, or how, how, uh, you know, like I had a publishing deal in Nashville for about five years. And so you really come face to face with that. when you're sitting in a room trying to write a song and you're, come up with this great thing and this idea for this third verse and then the other person says hey man that's gonna that's that's a little too left to center for mainstream country huh. you know the moms in the midwest are not going to get that one right we got it we you know we got to simplify a little bit you know what i mean huh. and so you have you're, you're constantly faced with this decision of uh how personal or arty you want it to be versus how uh hopefully universally accepted you want your music to be mm. you know what i mean right uh so that that song kind of came from that place but i didn't you know it's like ultimately i'm a pretty optimistic guy and i and in most of my songs there's a light at the end of the tunnel you could be you could be going through a hard time but you could pull together or learn something or love will find a way or something you know what i mean right. uh so as i was writing it i was like i wanted to be kind of tongue-in-cheek like i love randy newman uh tom waits also has these moments where it's like uh, you're talking about hard times, but you're joking about them at the same time. Right. So I really wanted, I was really glad how that song turned out. Uh, you know, there's a line about the big hair boys on the Sunset Strip getting ready to pay to play, uh-huh. which is kind of a, one of the fun things, like when I first moved to L.A., and finally get your first gig at the Cat Club or the Viper Road. Uh-huh. And it, of course, it's like midnight on a Tuesday and there's five people there. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the the other band is a bunch of these guys who are like, Wow, you guys are still living in the '80s, wow, you could be like you could have opened for Winger right. in 1984. <laughs> but they're you, you know, but it's like, hey, that's their music. They're loving it. They brought their friends. They're you know, they're they're just as entitled as I am to make music. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And just as I might be a little confused about where they're coming from, they might have the same exact feelings about my set. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, so I really wanted to have it be this tongue-in-cheek thing. But how you kind of you overcome? And there are some good lyrics in that one about. Uh, uh, you know, it really has to mean something to you, right? You can't, you're, we're, we're not just in it for the money. We're in it for the, the music and the depth and the friendship. Uh, and so as I was recording that it was really coming along great. Um, and then I thought I, I, uh, would ask Shooter to do a duet with me on it. Cause, uh, I've been in the band with him for a long time. We are buddies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it, you know, it's been, it's been a bunch of records since, since he has been a guest on a song of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I thought this one would be a good one cause he and I met in Hollywood and the, the, the original band that we had was based out of LA and he, he and I both been based out of LA like this whole time. We've done so many projects and things together. Right. Uh, I thought it would be great. And so he heard the song immediately dug it and, uh, yeah, it's a great duet. And then as I was, I mean, and then months later, as I was putting the running order together, I was like, you know, I think this kind of sets the tone for the record yeah, uh, and it should be first. So I, I had to shorten out. I edited out some of the solo sections. You know, you can't really get... It's, it's a risky move to start an album with, like, a five-and-a-half-minute song. <laughs> you know, I thought it was going to be kind of a jam, fun for the musician's tune. But, uh, but I'm really happy with how it turned out and Shooter's involvement in it. Um so yeah, thanks for
0: asking about that one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing that stood out to me about the album is how diverse the sounds are. There's some um, that one's kind of a, more of a rocker. There's some more bluesy stuff. Um, there's a kind of a New Orleans vibe to a, a few of the songs, and like a singer songwriter thing. Um, and and the song "Wasted a Little Time with Me" definitely has that New Orleans uh, vibe with the, with the horns and whatnot. And um, I. I, I I really like that um, when, when people bring in a bunch of different influences. So, um, yeah, I was wondering if you could talk about um, who, all, maybe who all played on that song, Waste a Little Time with Me, um, and uh, kind of where that song came from.
1: Waste
2: a, time, waste a little time with me. Come on and hop in the car, turn on the phone. The house will still be there when we get
1: home. So, waste a little time, waste a little time with me. Great. Um, That song actually started as more of a country song, and I wrote it back years ago when I had my publishing deal. Mm. So I wrote it with Trent Summer, a wonderful songwriter, who actually now lives in California, but he lived in Nashville for many years, Um, and also Soup Granda, who was one of the members of the Ozark Mountain Daredevils. Mm. Um, I had written a few times with Trent, and he was like, man, you got to meet Soup. He's a friend of mine. You're like a younger version of him. You guys would just hit it off. (laughs) So we got together at Trent's house and we just wrote that song in a day. Um, And it's kind of, that's a, that's a fun one. You know, the the, the idea is waste a little time with me and life is crazy, but let's turn off the phones and get outside and forget about the world. You know, the house will still be there when we get home, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, And so it has this fun energy. I had the idea of making it more of a New Orleans kind of track. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a big fan of Dr. John and Professor Longhair and meters. And so I wanted it to have this kind of piano thing. Um, So my good buddy, Brian Whelan, who's also a great singer-songwriter and rock and roller, um, and we've played on a ton of records together, and he's a great artist as well. So he played piano on it. Um, uh, I played bass. I actually played the horns. My first instrument in high school, or uh, as a kid, was the trumpet. Wow. So one of the things I love to do is to kind of play the trumpet and the trombone on a lot of my records. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I wanted to have this kind of fun laid back join the party, kind of an energy. Uh, and I've been like, like I said before, I've been a fan of a lot of different kinds of music. Uh, and then when I'm not the singer songwriter, I've played bass in lots of different kinds of bands. I mean, I, I kind of decided right when I finished college, I wanted to play bass for a living. I want to be a musician for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you know, one month you find yourself in a in an Irish bar band. A few months later, you find yourself in a bluegrass band. A few months later, you find yourself in a blues band, and you kind of get in, you get interested in a new genre, and then you slowly learn how to play it, and then work with people who make that music. And so, after all these years, I've played a lot of different ki- I've, I I've played a lot of different kinds of uh, of of music, right. and when it's time for me to write and then make a record. I love thinking in these different terms and, and having them all express different parts of my personality. Uh, and so, yeah, there's definitely a little bit of Memphis soul on the record, some real great acoustic kind of singer-songwriter, acoustic guitar-driven songs. Mm-hmm. There's some rockers, there's some funky ones. Um, and then, yeah, there's definitely a little New Orleans and a little Dixieland influence, which is which are big, big, big loves of mine. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Has bass been your your primary instrument? I know you play a bunch of different things, but is that kind of your main, uh, what you'd consider your main instrument?
1: Um, I'd say, yeah. Yeah, trumpet was my first. And then I got a bass in my freshman year of high school. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then for many years, I was just a professional bass player. Like my my singer-songwriter and artist side didn't really come out until a little later. Hmm. Um, And so like when I play with the bands now, I play bass and sing. Right. And yeah, bass is something I've really been a student of and I love. And uh, uh, I I feel like my band has more personality and feels more like me when I play bass in it. The bass helps me kind of steer the ship. Um, And whether it's bringing out the outlaw country or the funkiness or the straightness or whatever I want it to be, the bass really helps me uh, kind of subtly... Provide a red carpet so that every other person in the band can get on board. Hmm. You know what I mean? Between the bass playing and the singing, it kind of helps everyone figure out, oh, this is what this song wants to be. And then they can just jump in.
0: It's it's always been kind of interesting to me how um, bass... Uh, 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 there's this weird connection between um uh, producers and bass and and the the bass I, I feel like bass players really good bass players have a sense of the song that's that's just from a, a slightly different perspective um that helps produce the whole song whether it's in a recording or a live setting and um it, it i don't know it's just this weird thing that that bass players um tend to have that uh that that drive to them and um yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense that you. Play. No,
1: I know. I I think you're right, and that's a, that's a really interesting thing to comment on, um, you know, because the bass it's often the least noticeable instrument mm-hmm. that's playing, you know, for for your average listener. Right. Uh, but the bass really does like the job of the bass is to kind of fit in between everything and create this glue and this underpinning something that helps make it great. Um, when I was in my first three or four years of being a professional musician and most of the other guys I played with in high school and college, like kind of one by one, we're not, we're kind of giving up being a musician. Mm-hmm. They were like, Oh, I got this other job and it's great. And I'll still do music the side for fun. Um, there were probably four or five of us that would kind of get together like every Christmas time or sometime in summer when I would come back home to visit. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I, I kind of realized, uh, this kind of realization I had, I was like, have you ever been to a bar and you see a band and the singer's great and the drummer's great and the guitar is great, but something's wrong and people are not dancing and people are not getting on board. Mm-hmm. And they go, yeah. And I said, it's probably because the bass player is a weak link and it doesn't feel right. And you can't tell. It's like, it's not the noticeable, like if the singer is flat or missing the wrong lyrics or something like that, everyone can tell because right. everyone, most people follow the singer. If the drummer is rushing and dragging and messing up or being too uh you know bombastic everyone feels it right away you see it right. but the bass is a much subtler little thing that when it's done right it kind of fits in and supports everything um yeah i and then a few years after that i used to joke that the bass was the easiest job in the band mm-hmm. um and i and i i they say that from like a technical standpoint, like you really got to be great at your scales and your chords to play guitar well and and all that. The bass, you can kind of just play one note, one note at a time and keep it simple, which also then means you can spend more time listening to everybody else and feeling how you fit in. You don't have to be thinking about all the intricate stuff you're doing the way a guitarist or a violinist might do. You know what I mean? You can sit back and listen. And I think that's partially why, you know, to become an all right bass player, is probably the easiest job in the band, mm-hmm. but to become a great bass player is as difficult as anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think that's why a lot of great producers have become bass players. You know, John Was is a great example. Mm-hmm. Uh, you spend your time listening and supporting, and then while you're sitting, you're like, "Oh, you know, what would make this a little better if I did this and this other person did this." And then you kind of get. Um, I, I really, before I started actually producing records for other people. I was often the guy in the band who would just make these musical comments. And, oh, you know what? Maybe if we slowed this down a little bit, the vocal would sing better. Mm-hmm. Or if we change the key, or if we add this bridge, or hey, how about if I add this? Let's try this other couple chords at the end of the chorus to help it kind of climax in a different way. Right. And you just make these little suggestions, and then after a while people go, "Oh, that's that's a good suggestion. I like that. Let's do that." And then after you make more of them, and they, you know, you kind of, you know, you, you always want to tread lightly when you're in someone else's band and you're you're really there to support you don't want to start taking over and make you know a million ideas right. but if they accept and enjoy the first ones then you kind of make more and then you create this conversation about how we can make the music better and i've had more than a few records that i produced start that way because i was just a person in the band and then the uh the band leader of or the, the singer songwriter just started trusting my opinions more mm-hmm. i'm like wow well, you really understand what i want to do and you have this other vocabulary of music that can help me make it better, and so a lot of that stuff happens in a very organic way,
2: yeah,
0: yeah, the unsung hero of the band is the the bass player, a good bass player, you know often <laughs> often yeah. <laughs> definitely. All right. Well, another song um, that I really like on the, on the album is called uh, hold on to me. And it has this uh, really great, hopeful, almost gospel ish kind of uh, vibe to it. And uh, a little more on the singer songwriter side of, of, of things. And um, yeah, yeah. Like, I'd like to hear a little bit more of that song, maybe where it came from and uh, what inspired that. Oh,
1: I wrote that song with a good friend of mine named Gordy Quist who was in a great band called The Band of Heathens. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I had been a fan of theirs for a while and then we ended up doing a bunch of shows together and started sitting in with each other and stuff like that. Uh, And so, uh, a few years ago, I was in Austin had a couple days off and I called Gordy and said, hey, let's write a song. Uh, And we both loved the band and we both loved that that place where soul music and rock intersect. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, and gospel and rock intersect, yeah so we came up with this chord progression. Um, I really wanted it to be a song about comforting someone going through difficult times. Um, and then we just came up with this great melody, and it evolved and then and then, so yeah, we wrote that song together, uh, and Gordy actually sings harmony on that song on the record, too. Okay. Um, and that also evolved into kind of a real like that was kind of my cornerstone song for this record for a while while I was making the album Mm. because it starts acoustic with just a little bit of dobro and then the vocals Mm -hmm. and then little by little, the band starts seeping in, but the drums don't come in full force until about a minute into the song. And then it hovers at this kind of soul, uh, kind of mellow moody singer songwriter area for a while. And then there's a big triumphant guitar solo and we're singing up high and, um, It's a, it's a, the song really slowly builds. It's kind of a slow burn and has a great climax. Uh, and, and as a, from, from a songwriting perspective, that might be one of the songs on this record that I'm, I'm most proud of. Hmm.
0: Yeah. When, when did you get, when did you guys write that song?
1: Uh, maybe five years ago. Oh
0: wow. It's been a while. When, uh, when I was listening to it, I was just thinking that it just has a, like, this is a good song for 2020. It really is. Especially
1: as really hopeful sense to it as things are getting more and more chaotic and kind of overwhelming and confusing. Um, I, I really like having songs with a tone of comfort. Yeah, uh, You know, because life is just hard enough as it is. You know? absolutely. Uh, uh, and so, yeah, thank you, thank you for saying that. But no, we wrote that about five years ago. Huh. That was one of the earlier songs on this record that was written. In fact, before I figured out what a full band version should be, I put that on another record. I did an album called Flying Solo, okay. which is all acoustic guitar and vocals. It's just a solo album. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my records are full band. And I'd been touring a lot in Europe and different parts of America solo. we are all like, you know, fly to an airport, rent a car, and just drive around with my acoustic guitar and bass and just play solo for a couple weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. And I had enough people who are real folkies, real folk purists, and they'd say, I love your music, but I don't want to hear drums. I'd love to hear exactly what you played tonight when you're playing solo. Hmm. And I was like, you know, that's a great idea. I've never done that before. And so I did this album called Flying Solo, which is just me playing solo. And so that song is actually it's one of the one of one of the very few songs of mine that's on more than one record hmm. because the solo version is on this other record maybe four years ago, and then the, finally the full band version is on the new album. Right.
0: Yeah, I could see it working in that context too. It's a it's a good song for both ways of doing it
1: it works great and also the way it the way it builds it starts very intimate and kind of soft-spoken and then it gradually gets bigger and more gospel-y and then i'm singing high and intensely by the end so it's a really it's a very it's a powerful song to play solo and it's also a powerful song to play with the band right uh so yeah i kind of I, I love it both ways but i'm really glad that the full band version is actually finally getting heard so thanks for pointing that one out yeah absolutely
0: so normally, when you release an album, you, you tour in support of that. But obviously, that's not happening uh, with this one because of 2020. But um, uh, what's what's your plan um, uh, with the music? You've been doing some shows online and whatnot. Um, uh, is, is that kind of uh, what you're trying to do with the the release of the album? Do some online shows and whatnot?
1: Yeah. Well, until until we are actually able to go out and tour again, I'm going to stay home and stay safe. You know. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've been, you know, for for your listeners. I'm in California, uh, and in LA, and so we have a. I think we're playing it safer than a lot of other states and cities. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all kind of staying home, and and like I've I've definitely done a handful of recording sessions and some stuff like that. But everyone's kind of doing the social distancing and trying to play it safe. Right. Um, I've I've been doing more songwriting with Skype and Zoom and FaceTime and stuff, which that's been great because mm-hmm. often, like in a situation like with Hold On with Gordy, like. You know, we we talked about writing for over a year before we were actually in the same town at the same time with the time to write. You know what I mean? Right. So now you can just kind of call up your friend and say, great, I'm home, too. Let's let's pick a day. Um, I've been producing a few records. Um, one is this great record that just came out of, kind of Travis Napier okay. from Kentucky. Great singer, songwriter. He flew out to L.A. wonderfully enough in February. Hmm. So we had just done all the basic tracks and he sang a lot of it. And then he flew home to Kentucky and I was going to kind of keep overdubbing and mixing and all that stuff. So once the, once all of us staying at home started, I had some work to do, which is pretty great. Kind of helped the bills get paid. There's another great band in LA called Mike Dawson and the smoking kills. Okay. Uh, So I've been working on their record. Um, uh, And I've been doing Facebook live shows or Instagram live shows. I'll usually do two a week. Uh, my series is called we're going to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I named it after a great old soul tune by little Milton called we're going to make it. Mm-hmm. So I close every show with, with, we're going to make it. Yeah, um, cool. uh, but they're usually about 45 minutes or an hour long and I'll do kind of different songs from different records or cool covers, whatever I'm feeling. Right. Um, so that's been pretty wonderful. Uh, we've been doing a few recording sessions with shooter and with some other people. Um, uh, just trying to stay productive. I'm actually already, I'm, I'm, I'm now at home a lot working on a new album, <laughs> which will probably come out early next year. Huh. Um, uh, and, I, you know, I, I'm married and I have a son, so it's nice to have some family time as well. It's, you know, it's like I love I love being home and I love working in L.A. And, and uh, uh, I love the touring, I love the traveling, and I'm really glad that that's a, kind of a big part of my life. Mm. Uh, and I definitely have not, I don't think I've been home for five months straight you know, since I was 24 right. or something like that, you know, but, you know, making the best of it um, and working hard and staying productive, trying to stay artistic, uh, you know, and be smart. Absolutely. And so, yeah, and so actually, it's, it's, it's actually pretty wonderful. This is the first record I've put out where I've actually been home while it's getting released. Mm-hmm. So that doing, it's like doing this interview with you today is a piece of cake if I'm hanging out at home, like I'm right. in my home studio. Which is actually the Den, which is where the album gets its name. Down in the Den, because a lot of it was recorded here. Yeah. Um, you know, normally if I was going to do an interview, I'd be like pacing around in the parking lot of some motel in Salt Lake City <laughs> before my gig. <laughs> right. So It was actually nice to be home and and kind of handle the stuff. Uh, and also, an interesting thing is um, the Americana and roots music community and singer songwriter communities mm-hmm. are pretty earthy and. I think that we find, even though we're kind of spread out throughout the country and the world, we find each other. Um, and so it's been pretty great to be getting in touch with old friends, whether they're writers or DJs or promoters and staying in touch with people while talking about this new record and getting it up and using it as a chance to catch up. Right. So a lot of, a lot of what I was missing from kind of losing, like, I think we all kind of lost our social circles, uh, which is really weird and overwhelming because you get a lot of your sense of identity from the people you hang out with and your shared interests. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and then after about a month or two of being at home, I start kind of focusing on this, uh, releasing this album, which is, of course I, I'm, I'm very proud of it. I really think it's a good, uh, you know, I think, you know, no record is going to be perfect, but if you can say, this is the best I can do right now in my life, I'm proud of this, you know, mm-hmm. Um, hopefully I'll make a better one next year and a better one the year after that. Who knows? Right. But uh, it's been great to kind of stay in touch with people through through getting this record out you know, and meeting new friends like you. So thank you. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Well, if people want to know more about you and uh, buy the album, buy merch from you and stuff like that, what's the best place to look for them?
1: The best place to go is I got a website. So my name is Ted Russell Camp. So T-E-D-R-U-S-S-E-L-L. Uh, and then my last name is Camp. It's K A N P from uh, it's Dutch. Mm-hmm. So it's like summer camp with a K. Right. Um, so TedRussellCamp dot com, and you can check out the music. Um, it's also uh, it's also on iTunes and Amazon and Google Play and all that other stuff. So you can look look for it there. Uh, but TedRussellCamp dot com is the best place to start. You get more of the story, and you can hear a bunch of the music, and you know, get some of the music or the CDs or hats or shirts or whatever you want. Right
0: fantastic all right man well that's all the questions i had for you well then
1: thank you again for your support thanks for spending my music and independent music absolutely uh and sharing it with the good people at carson city
0: yeah cool man well thanks for calling in and uh, spending a little time chatting
1: okay great and please stay in touch and if, if you get to la let me know and if i if once you start touring again if i can get out to carson city uh, then I will let you know. All right. We'll meet up for beer and uh, invite you to the show. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. All right, man. Okay, thanks again, Will. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, I'll stick with you if you stick with me. Yeah, I'll stick with you if you stick with me.